Um, all right, we're going to jump in to Acts. If you guys want to turn, turn the beginning of Acts. Uh, so, when we met two weeks ago, um, I did like an overview of you know, how God is kind of working throughout history. Um, and what's the big picture between God's relationship uh, with man? And so that's, um, I wanted us to just kind of step back and, and look at that, how in the Old Testament we kind of saw two big sweeping movements that God you know, created man, God has a relationship with man, gave him responsibilities, and that man on his own will fall short, will fail. Um, and so with those failings, there are consequences we looked at those, and with those consequences, though, there's always hope given. And so God started early on kind of pointing to um, a Savior, uh, a messenger of hope, and uh, that would become more clear uh, throughout Scripture. We saw how, again, on their own, before the flood, or through the flood and Tower of Babel, a man just continuously does evil in his heart. And then we looked at Abraham and saw that God decided, not because of who Abraham was or what Abraham did, um, that he chose this man to start a nation. And it was going to be through this nation, through these people, that he was going to start uh, revealing himself in different ways, through laws and customs and um, requirements that he wanted them to do, which is a picture of, of how God sh- and man should relate to one another, um, and that God is God and man is man. Um, and we just see this all throughout the history of Israel. And it wasn't until Jesus came on the scene that Jesus said, now I am the one that you are to put faith in. Um, I am the one whom God said would come. Um, And we see that it is, again, as shown through Abraham, that it's through faith that we are justified. Um, The faith that we can have a relationship with God. And so then we get to Acts. And Acts is really a time of transition. And we see that really in, in these first few verses of Acts. And we're going to cover the first four verses today, do some introductory, like look at like what the book is about, who wrote it, and all those things, and uh, kind of talk about that, and then do a little bit of uh, review, because it's right there in the text, of um, you know, what Christ's main message and mission was when he came. So right in the book of, book of Acts, we see um, in the first few verses, we read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we're going to pause there and kind of look at, you know, uh, what you know the purpose of Acts is. Um, it's not the, the main message of Acts. We'll get to that next week. But the purpose of Acts and, and why it was written. Um, so really these first two verses is recalling Jesus' mission. Um, it's kind of a flashback uh, that, that the author does. Um, and we see that in those first few, few words, in, this first, in the first book, O Theophilus, is how the author starts you know, his, his greeting. Um, and so the recipient of this book is someone named Theophilus. So if we want to know who Theophilus is, we get a better picture because that's all that's stated about who Theophilus is. We get maybe a better picture if we turn to Luke. And so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, we'll look at the first few verses of Luke. We see a similar greeting and uh, the purpose in the first book. Um, so when you guys read books, do you guys read the preface? And there's, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, it's just first couple pages. I'll just skip over that. Uh, if you're ever taught to like understand the the understand a book, uh, you, you know, to understand the content, you should read the preface of the book, even though it's like those first couple filler pages. More so, you know, if you read books for pleasure, you typically read the preface. If you're assigned a book to read. So if you put yourself back to when you were in school, you're usually like, I only want to read what I have to read. Um, but uh, if we skip the preface, we skip you know, what, what the whole point of um, this, the writing is. And so in the first few verses of the book of Luke, uh, we, read, uh, we, we see who uh, you know, 
a similar description. We see, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, so people have written history, just as though who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, the, the book of Acts is a part two of the Gospel of Luke. And when we see this person who this book is written to, we see the, the term Theophilus. Um, in Acts, it says, he says, O Theophilus. Here it says, Excellent uh, Theophilus, or Most Excellent Theophilus. Um, by that term, Most Excellent, we get an idea that this person is, is a dignitary, um, because of a term, the proper term of how you would uh, recognize um, some official, perhaps somebody of uh, nob- nobility. Um, the name, though, Theophilus, we're not quite sure, though, if it's like an actual name or if it's a pseudonym for um, somebody else. You guys know what the, the name Theophilus means? If you know Greek, Theos is, you know what Theos is God, and Philo which is where we get Philadelphia. Well, we get Philadelphia from a couple other words, but is love. So we have lover of God is Theophilus. And so is this person, you know, that's this person's name, Theophilus. Is this person who is a person of uh, a dignitary who is also a lover of God and so a pseudonym written to somebody who who loves God and follows God? Um, You know, Paul mentions uh, in uh, other places, um, when we looked at this, um, was it two weeks ago, when we we were going through all the names in Romans 16, there are are people of nobility that Paul writes to, Uh, there are those that are in Caesar's household that um, he sends greetings to that are believers, and so maybe Theophilus is related to one of these people. We're not exactly sure who 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 Theophilus is, except the title of this person. And often when books were written, sometimes they were written for um, people of nobility. It was either written to a particular person um, as, a, um, uh, you know, as a letter. Uh, but as we get to Luke and we get to Acts, there are longer sections, which usually mean the materials that you use and the cost that's involved. And pers- possibly um, it was taken up on Luke's account or it could have been something that was, was helped paid for in order to do this historical look. Because that's what really Luke says in those first few verses, right? He says, other people have written an eyewitness account, but I felt like compelled to do the same thing. And we see that he says, you know, I also wanted to do an orderly account. Um, So often Luke's account is looked at as um, more chronological than some of the other books. You guys ever read like a, um, uh, now the term escapes me, when you blend the Gospels in together? Harmony. A harmony, yeah, harmony. Uh, so if you read a harmony, usually Luke's is the one that is kind of seen as like the backbone that some are pulled into. Because if you read Matthew, uh, it's mostly chronological, but there are some times where things are put in thematic, uh, certain parables that are thematically uh, fit together. Um, and so uh, Luke's is given an orderly account, and we see that when we get to the book of Acts. Now, there's nothing to compare Acts to um, as far as uh, hi- you know, historicity um, compared to some of the other Gospels. But we'll get to that as we go through the book of Acts. So it's written to this uh, man named Theophilus, who's a lover of God, could be a pseudonym, could be the actual name, uh, a title that he's, he's assumed. Um, but we know that it's also to a broader audience, that when Luke is writing... Um, uh, that we see that the things that are written to this person is to go beyond just this person. That it's an account not for this one individual, but it is also a record that would apply for the masses as well. And we are the recipients of that. Um, so that's who it's written to. And so Luke had a purpose in mind uh, in order to write down what happened, and we end up getting the, the benefit of uh, this writing. Um, why was it written? 
So one, he says that it's an orderly account, again, that some wrote in, in different ways and maybe more thematic. You know, usually you have the birth and you have the death and kind of Jesus moving along in different places. But sometimes some of those are moved uh, a little bit out of, out of order, depending on did he go from this place to that place or vice versa. And so Luke kind of, kind of went through a more orderly account. Um, and then he says, I want you to also have certainty of the things that you were taught. Um, whenever we look at historical um, you know, we look at archaeological uh, finds or we look at pieces of history. Uh, they are just to, they're not to um, help us believe, right? That is the role of the Holy Spirit. But they give us a greater assurance of our faith. Um, when anything is ever discovered and it comports with the biblical account, right? It just gives us a sure foundation, Right, it's, it's you're not going to find one rock, and you know, you're not going to look at the walls of Jericho and say, you know, it looks like they did crumble uh, by some cataclysmic event. You know, someone can interpret that as an earthquake. Um, the scripture says it was God's making the wall, you know, God making the walls fall. But that isn't, you know, understanding those things isn't going to make you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior. But it says all the things that we've read are true. Right, there was a time. Uh, up to the 70s, where King David was sometimes thought is like that he didn't even exist until they started finding um, archaeological pieces that had inscriptions to this David, this king named David. Um, and so they're like, well, maybe what was written in the Bible is true, right? That's not, again, for our account, but we can point to those things and just have greater assurance. And that's really what Luke is doing. I just want you to have certainty of the things that you have been taught. More certainty. I'm going to give you greater clarity. I'm going to look at things that maybe from a different angle. We know that Luke in, in his, his uh, gospel provides details that aren't um, seen in some of the other gospels. That's why we're also thankful that John's gospel uh, includes things that, that the other three, which are considered the synoptics, that have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, similarities, that John includes things that none of them uh, had as well. It just gives us a greater picture, greater clarity of Jesus' life. And so that's why this book was written. Now, who wrote it? I've obviously had you turn to a gospel by this author's name, but how do we know that this person wrote it? What's that? Okay, yeah, so when we read that, that uh, the beginning in Acts, right, he says, in the first book, I dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, um, that this one is related to that first book. And when we see the end of Luke, we see kind of a um, thread that begins with the beginning of Acts. But nowhere is it mentioned this person's name. And so we know that, that the Gospel of Luke was written, um, and that the book of Acts was written, and that there are similarities between the two, but nowhere has it been attributed within the book itself of who this person is. So really, actually, we're relying on tradition. One of the earliest Gospels, uh, or the earliest fragments of Scripture, is um, the Gospel of Luke. It's in the 2nd century, uh, a scroll that, that's been written, and on it it says the Gospel of Luke. Um, so we're relying on early manuscripts and tradition that has been described as that. And there's other places where people, um, uh, church fathers, have attributed this writing to Luke that are early on. There's even a heretic named Marcion who, in 135, um, he had his own uh, uh, viewing of what the canon was, but that this writing was attributed to, uh, to Luke. So it's been attributed to this person named Luke. What do we know about Luke? Luke is only mentioned a few times in Scripture. Um, and uh, so we kind of piece together from those what you know, this person looks like. Uh, we know that Luke is a close companion of Paul. Um, he's mentioned in Scripture uh, by his profession. You guys know what Luke's profession is? He's Dr. Wright. He's described as the beloved physician in 1 Corinthians. So one, we know that Paul is a beloved, uh, uh, you know, beloved meaning a, a close companion of Paul's. Uh, he's also a physician, um, and we'll see why that maybe is, you know, a, a helpful piece of information as we look at uh, both of these books. Um, in 2 Timothy, which is the last book that Paul writes, the last letter that Paul writes, 
Um, he says that Luke alone is with me. That out of all the people, the ministry companions, whether some are off looking at churches, Paul, towards the end of that letter, talks about those that have deserted him. He says, Luke, of all people, is the only one that is with me. And so we know that Luke is somebody who's traveled with him, who stayed with him, and who's a close companion um, all the way up until the end. Um, but using, uh, and then he says one other, he, he gives like a greeting in Philemon. He says, my ministry companions greet you, and several names are listed, and Luke is, is one of those people that are listed. So we know that he's, he's a close companion of Paul, that he's a doctor. Um, and so when you look at the, the uh, Gospel of Luke, you know, where we don't see anything about Paul, we do see some things that are described um, from maybe a physician's viewpoint. Physicians at those times were educated, and so when we look at the Greek um, in not only Luke but also Acts, that it is a um, somewhere between the common Greek and classical Greek, but it is a more polished Greek, uh, a developed style. Um, he cites his sources at the beginning of you know, chapter 1 in Luke and describes where he's getting his account from. He's speaking in terms of a historian, so somebody who had, does have an educational background um, and kind of you know, is, is looking at that. Um, I know there's a series, I told a tangent, but kind of related. There's a series about the Unabombers. Anyone seen that, that show? That has come on. I don't know. I've just kind of been interested. And uh, one of the things that, as there, this guy's profiling the language that is in, so it's really interesting from kind of that, you know, looking at how do you look at text and do a textual analysis. And that's really what this, uh, the part of the series was kind of focusing on, is how they found the Unibobber through kind of textual analysis. And part of it was like, you know, he writes in this style, so what can we then know about this person? And so some of it was, you know, the way that this person has has written and the way that they cited certain things. And so you can start kind of narrowing down this person's educated, probably did a doctoral dis- dissertation, things like that. And so you can look at how somebody writes and what they write and the words they use, where they're from, kind of dialects, things like that. And then you can start understanding about who these people are. And that's what you do when you do a textual analysis in Scripture. You start seeing, like, well, this person you know, fits certain characteristics and, um, you know, if we have tradition, we have these characteristics, and we have other pieces of information, um, then the idea that this is written by Luke starts to make a lot of sense. Even if it was written by a guy named George, it really doesn't matter. You know, we still have the content. But it just gives us a greater assurance, you know, that what is written, and we can start adding some more detail and color um, that goes along with it. Some, uh, when we get to the book of Acts, you know, some historians in the past have said, you know, there are details that are described by Luke that, um, you know, don't uh, line up with other documents, um, historical documents. And so uh, in the past, you know, you have to say, like, well, who do you trust more, you know, because, you know, do you trust Luke's account? Do you trust these other accounts? Um, why, would you, why would you elevate some other person's account over Luke's account? Is it just because it's Bible? So is that, is that coming in there? Um, now those issues have been resolved, but you know, people will, will kind of throw some of these things out there. Um, and so we might touch on those. This is a little bit, a little bit further on in, uh, in, in Luke. So not only you see that this person's educated, this person's likely a Gentile um, in the audience that they speak to. Luke was likely a Gentile because of the name, uh, some other descriptions, um, you know, and how he separates himself from Jewish names and, and Greek names. Um, and uh, uses also a medical vocabulary, uh, more so than the other Gospels. There's also a couple things that you pick up in, in the Gospel of Luke, things that are said, or maybe things that are said in other Gospels, um, you know, maybe that are, uh, were disparaging towards physicians that Luke doesn't say in his gospel when you compare it, or the opposite, he adds more detail um, about certain medical conditions in his gospel that the others leave out. So um, that's another kind of uh, um, element that helps us see who Luke was and, and uh, you know, who this author is that wrote that. Plus, we also see that this person was an insider, Again, that you have certainty, and I, it says in verse 3 of, again, of Luke chapter 1, it seemed to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you. Verse 2 before that, you know, there are eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that has been delivered to them. We know because if Paul is a close companion, or Luke is a close companion to Paul, um, that Luke went 
in a lot of different places that Paul did. Sometimes you see uh, that um, the writer of of Acts writes in a way that talks about Paul, and then he'll change pronouns, so instead of Paul and he, he starts saying we. Um, that you know that this person is going on a voyage, uh, especially when we get to the end of Acts and that they go to Rome, that this person is right there on the ship with Paul. And we know that when Paul is in jail in 2 Timothy, that Luke is right there with him. Uh, even though those are separate imprisonments, we, we start to see some of that, that picture. Um, because he was a companion of Paul, we also know that Paul went down, and we'll see this in Acts, that Paul goes down and he meets some of the apostles. Um, he has interactions with Peter. He has interactions with James. Right. So where else would you get information from, about Jesus than James, his brother? He would have you know, helpful information about Jesus. Where else would you get information about things that go on uh, from Peter? Uh, We see that Luke traveled with Mark, and Mark was with Peter, and so you see some of that um, interaction as well. Uh, Had some interaction probably with John when uh, Luke was with Paul and when he was in prison in Caesarea. That would have been not too far from Jerusalem. So you get all of these things that helped kind of paint this picture and uh, pull the puzzle pieces together and say, it looks like Luke wrote this, and as we go along, we just assume this is the person who wrote the book. And so that's what we're going to go with. That Gospel of Luke is attributed to Luke. I don't think you were going to, you know, I would uncover some new, new revelation that would totally change anything. But it just gives us that assurance as we go through there. Like, yeah, how do, how do you know who it comes to? Especially, you know, like how do, we, you know, when we talk about the, the Gospel of John, how do you know that John wrote the Gospel of John? Because John purposely tries to, like, you know, uh, not reveal his name. But he says things about himself. We know he's a disciple. He's the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved. And so now you've got one of 12 people who it could be. and uh, Well, 11, because um, Judas killed himself. And so, anyway, so that's, that's how you go through and try to, try to uncover. And then it, it just it gives us assurance that if we can kind of pull these pieces together and then make certain conclusions... That when we look at other portions of Scripture, we can trust and have confidence that what Luke says is how things went down. Um, especially if you run into somebody who uh, might argue about, you know, something that was said in the book of Acts. There's a couple that we'll, we'll go through as we go along, just, just to illustrate that. Um, well, how were books written back then, right? Because he says, I'm writing a book to you, O Theophilus. Um, they weren't written as books. They were still written as scrolls. Later, they would go into this form called a codex. But really, that word book is logon. And you guys know that. Well, hopefully, you know if it's related to that word logos, which Jesus used to, or which John used to describe Jesus. And that word logos means what? Right, so the word. And so, really, this is a word or a message, right? So, in the first message, O Theophilus, I wanted to deal with all that Jesus began to do and teach, right? And then now, obviously, you have the second one. Um, we, don't, we don't know if there was a trilogy. Um, it would have been nice if there was a trilogy. Things are, things are nice in a, in a trilogy package. Um, but, because uh, when we get to the end of Acts, we'll see that, you know, we're still wanting more. What else, is, what else is there to be said? But all we know is that there's these two books that have been written, and so the second message that has been written to them, and it focuses on all the things that Jesus did and taught. Right? That's, that's what he said. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, I wanted to go every, over everything that Jesus did and taught, and then I kind of cut it, cut it off there. Um, so I want us to take and pause. All right? This is an audience participation. You guys ready? I want you to think of one thing. Maybe actually do this. Do two. All right? Think of two things that Jesus said or taught. Okay? And then, then we're going to go and see if you guys can say this. Are you guys ready? Can you do this? All right, if you want to say pass, you can say pass. Okay? I used to do this with my students. I would say, like, all right, write everything that Jesus like, said and taught. Right? And you could fill up like all these boards. Right? When you start stop and think about it, all the things that Jesus said and taught. So I'm putting you on the spot here. You guys, we didn't have a whole year of, of study of this. Okay, so Scott, can you go first? Just one thing. Jesus. Okay, what's that? The parable of the seed. The parable of the seed. Okay. 
If you love me, obey me. Raise Lazarus from the dead. Look at I already gave you <laughs> give me a heads up. Pass. Pass, okay. Fear not in the burn. What's that? Fear not. Fear not during the storm, okay? Feeds five thousand. Repent and believe. We're gonna move over, okay? The Beatitudes. You just covered everything, okay? Helping a blind man to see. Simon, so same thing. It's a good one. What? Love your neighbor. Why the truth of life? I was gonna say love your neighbor. Okay. Who else? Love your neighbor and love. God. Okay, I gave you one. Yeah. So. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay. Oh yeah. The demons out of there. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Okay, good. Okay. I'm the light of the world. Okay, yeah, okay, we got one of those. Pass, okay, that's fine. Let's go, Shepherd, okay. Turn the water into wine. Take up your cross and follow me. Fishers of men. Okay. Mustard and seed. Send out the 70 apostles. Prodigal son, right? And are there things that we missed? Oh, yeah, right? If the class was... What's that? You know, it's funny, yeah. Died on the cross, uh, rose from the dead. It's good that you... Because when I, when, I when I asked them that, uh, yet last night... Right. You sometimes I worry if I put you too much on the spot, that you're going to be like, oh, man, he's going to like... So, but, you know, as, as illustration, right, all of us came up with different things. And, uh, and um, there are plenty of other things, right? Even John, at the end of his gospel, said, like, if I wrote everything that Jesus did, it would fill volumes. And John included things towards the end of his life that wasn't included in the, the synoptic gospels. And you're like, thank, you know, thankfully he did that, right? I always wonder why the other, you know, this is off topic, but why the others don't include, like, Lazarus raising from the dead. Like, you know, but they had a mission, they had a message, they had a certain volume that they wanted to, you know, scroll lengths, all of that. And so... They're, uh, they're endeavoring to say as much as they can that fulfills the mission and describes who God is, who Jesus is, and uh, that man's problem and, and need for, for Jesus. But there's plenty of things that we, we did not say that we could have said. Um, and, and that's what, you know, um, it, you know, so when Luke says, I, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, we know that, that it wasn't everything, it wasn't exhaustive, but he did as much as he could to talk about who Jesus was and describe who Jesus was, and why he came. So, he says, you know, I wanted to focus on what Jesus did and what he taught. Um, you know, some people look at only Jesus as a good teacher. Like, I believe that the words he said were true. I believe that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Um, but some, you know, stop there and say, well, I don't believe everything that he did. You know, some of those things are super, you know, are, are things that I've never seen. I don't think you can turn water into wine. He probably had some sort of parlor act, you know, all of that, right? Those are skeptics who don't believe. They believe, like, what he taught, maybe, you know, maybe that he believed that for himself. But the things that, that he did. But one of the things that, you know, it's kind of, kind of opposite, is that the reason that he did the things that he did, and he did the miracles that he did, was to affirm the message that he was teaching. And when we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see the same thing, that Paul, when he goes through, or when Luke goes through all the things that Peter and Paul and all the other apostles did, were to affirm the message that was spoken. And so I'm going to say, you know, you're going to hear me say that a couple times, you know, uh, throughout this, because it bears repeating that, right, all the miracles that were done weren't just for the sake of doing miracles, uh, weren't just for the sake of compassion, but it was also to affirm this message that is like, all right, that God's saying, like, if you're going to listen to somebody, I want you to listen to this guy right here, my son. Um, and so Luke said, I, I want to write all those things down of everything that he did to affirm for those that were there everything that he taught. Now you have a written account because, uh, and we're going to see how God's message is revealed to people in the Acts age, right? It's the age that we're in, the church age. And so um, 
So that's why Luke wrote that, and he's transitioning to a new time for what we're going to see you know, in our, our upcoming study. And he says, I want to do everything that he did and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so, uh, again, affirming that God spoke through the Holy Spirit, um, we start seeing this person of the Holy Spirit being talked about, uh, who has then a much greater role in the book of Acts. Um, And so Luke is kind of using terminology that he didn't use in his gospel, start speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he'll talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit's role, but that the message that Jesus teaches and the message that the apostles teach through the Holy Spirit, that they're all speaking through the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was taken to the desert um, when he was going to be tempted. He was led by the Spirit. And so we see that, that Jesus submitted himself through the Father's will, what the Spirit would have to say. And so the same Spirit is going to be talking through these apostles. And so we're going to see what that looks like um, as we go through this book as well. So these commands uh, through the Holy Spirit and given to uh, as a mission for the apostles. Now this term is now, you know, we start seeing this term apostle being used. What was the term of Jesus' followers back in the Gospels? Right, he was a disciple. They were disciples. And disciple, a, a person who is a disciple is a person who is a learner. They had a rabbi who was their teacher, and they followed their teacher wherever they went. Well, once their teacher leaves, right, they're not learning from somebody anymore. Now that like, they have been equipped, and so then what do you do? You write books, I guess? No. Um, after, you, after you've been taught, then Jesus' mission for them in the Great Commission um, which was given in Matthew, was to then go. And so they now are apostles. You guys know what the word apostle means? What's that? Not a teacher. It's a sent one, yeah. So a person who is sent. And what, they, what are they going to do when they're sent? They're going to go and they are going to teach and talk about who Jesus is and be an eyewitness of who Jesus is. And we'll see that next week, um, or actually two weeks but uh, from now. And so we see that term apostle being used to describe all of those who were disciples. And now that Jesus is gone, we actually he's not gone quite yet. We're going to get kind of a flashback uh, next time. Um, and then Jesus is going to leave. But we see that term apostle. But it says the apostles whom Jesus chose. Right? Again, these were men that Jesus handpicked, that they were disciples. They, they walked around with Jesus for three years. And then they got to the point where now they're going to go. So those first couple of verses are recalling Jesus' mission, right? And we had a little bit of background about what that looked like and who that's to and uh, who wrote it and all of that. But we see that the Father had sent the Son so he could give a message to the people, a message of hope, right? Um, that I am the one who you have been waiting for, and I am the one who will come and who will take away your sins. And even though you don't see your problem as a sin problem, which is why sometimes you feel far from God, um, and that you can't relate to God as you'd like, or as God would desire, Jesus has been sent for that mission. And God uses Luke to investigate, right? He uses his background his education and his desires to go, even though someone's already written a book on something, thankfully, he prompted Luke to do so because it didn't just stop with a gospel that he kept on writing. And he wrote another uh, book, the book of Acts, which is very helpful for us to illustrate some of the things that Paul talks about in, the, in his epistles, as well as what the early church looked like. And so God uses Luke um, to investigate that to get eyewitness accounts, to write to a particular audience, right? Sometimes you need a motivating factor to write something. Paul, you know, again, wrote to certain churches for certain reasons. He just didn't write and say, like, you know, and post it in the newspaper as, like, a letter to all people. Um, So Luke is writing for a particular audience about who Jesus is, this message of hope, and we get to then the transition for what that message of hope will be, and what this message will be that the apostles are going to um, reach out and explain. 
So verse C, verses 1 through 2, is recalling Jesus' mission. And then he reaffirms Jesus' resurrection in verse 3 in Acts. So he says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, So it says that he presented him alive. So what are the proofs that we see? Um, what were all the things, and it's kind of interesting, you know, some of this, like, I appreciate, you know, have, having, you know, having a purpose to teach on particular things, because then it prompts me to look at certain things that maybe I wouldn't have necessarily looked into. So I never looked and kind of, like, compared all the things, like, all the ends of the gospel accounts, um, and kind of a, from, like, a big picture point of view. So what do we see in all of the different gospels when, Jesus, uh, after Jesus uh, was buried, um, and after he is, you know, the tomb is empty. Uh, in Matthew's account, we see the Great Commission. That, and so this is where we see kind of the message, which is affirmed, and we'll see in Acts, um, and, uh, you know, similar language, so we'll see that next time. Um, but we see the Great Commission described in, in Matthew 28, that he gathers his disciples together, and he says, this is my mission to you, uh, that you go out and you make disciples of all the nations. And then Matthew ends his account there. Um, Luke, at the end of his, right, uh, he doesn't have the Great Commission, but what he, do, he does is that um, he has an account of the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. And so they're kind of talking with each other, and then Jesus Christ shows up, and they didn't know Jesus Christ. And then uh, he starts, starts talking to him about how Jesus was fulfilled all in portions of the Old Testament. And, you know, they're, they're you know, plead with him, you know, hey, stay with us and eat with us. And he's like, no, I have to leave. And they're like, man, who was that? You know, our hearts were burning when he was speaking these things. And so we see an account. You know, Luke kind of throws this little illustration, and you're like, well, why does he talk about this? Um, part of it is to kind of reaffirm for us as well that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> that, you know, sometimes when we look at, you know, certain stories, we're like, is this related to Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Um, is that hopefully everything that is being done and said is, is moving the people towards, sometimes away, but overall towards uh, a need for a Savior and who this Savior would look like. And so we see that illustrated with these two men that Jesus talks to. Uh, he said, we see that he appears to the disciples and he ate with them, you know, and that gives us a, a kind of a picture, like what does Jesus look like, you know, not appearance-wise, what does Jesus look like after his death? You know, is he just some spiritual entity? No, he like sat down and he ate with them. Um, and so he has some sort of body. Uh, there is a recognition of who Jesus is, but it's not clear at the outset. Um, and so uh, we kind of start seeing maybe what things look like, you know, at, maybe when we die. And there's things you can, you can uh, compare that to in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and then we see Jesus ascends into heaven. And so in, in Acts, we see that same picture of what that looks like. So how did Jesus then leave? Because, right, you know, Jesus gives a great commission in the end of Matthew. And then what? Where did Jesus go? Um, and so we see, like, how he left and the way he went back to heaven. We see that ascension at the end of Luke. John has some other elements that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Um, and he comforts her, you know, again, showing how Jesus is not just interested in, in uh, men and their, um, their hearts, but that women, their hearts were breaking over Jesus as well. And he appears to Mary Magdalene and he comforts her. Um, he appears to the disciples who were in a locked room. So somehow Jesus can enter a locked room, um, right? But he's there and it's a physical entity. Uh, that he is not just spiritual. And why do we see that? Because we see that he touches his hands and feet. Later on, Thomas is like, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And so he appears again to Thomas, right? Because he cares for all his disciples and he wants them to know. Why? Because they're going to be apostles and they're going to go out and send this message. They're going to die for Jesus. And I want you to be fully sure that I just didn't die and went away. And you're like, I think that the message was true. I want you to know because I'm sending you out and you're going to build my church. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts. And so he appears to Thomas and he says, touch my hands, touch my side. Clear? Are we clear now? <laughs> All right, 
Now go. Now go, right? To encourage them and to give them the things that they need, right? We also see in John, um, Jesus appearing to Peter, right? And that wasn't just like the, la- the first time because he had appeared to the disciples before, but they go back to work and they're fishing. And, you know, we see this whole thing about Jesus now like appearing to Peter and saying like, listen, you know, you saw me, but you're not, you're not quite ready yet, Peter, there's some things that you did right during my death where you denied me and, uh, you know, that you're broken and I need to restore you because when we see Acts, Peter is a major player and we see how his, you know, he has completely changed from who he was at the end of John to who he is just, you know, a couple months later that Jesus restores Peter and says like, you know, the guy that I said, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, you, that on this, uh, that spoke of, of um, who I am and that on this confession, I'm going to build my church. You know, like Peter, I'm going to help use you to help build my church. And so he restores Peter. And so again, we see all, you know, how these different authors kind of end their books in different ways. And it's, it's pretty amazing. But there are all these different proofs to these different people. So was it just to a limited group? Well, no, because Paul, you know, recounts for us in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn there real quick, that Jesus did appear to more than just a group of people locked in a room, you know? Because um, it, it might be tempting just to say, like, yeah, well, you know, they, would just, they wanted the memory of their teacher to, to keep going on, you know? And so they gave up everything. Um, even though that's not, not quite true, but, you know, people say these things uh, in their unbelief. But verse 3 in chapter 15 Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So we see, like, specifically, Cephas is Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It's not just one person, right? It wasn't just, you know, a handful of people who were his disciples. It was to a public group gathering of 500 people. And Paul says, you know, you could, you know, in this, this vein, like, if you want to go talk to them, go talk to them. Um, and so most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So, again, if you want to go talk to them, they're still alive, go talk to them. He appeared to James, and then he appeared to all the apostles. Because uh, James is, you know, the brother of Jesus is not mentioned in uh, the Gospels as far as being a follower. So we see that James eventually came on board. And last of all, as to one ult- untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul says, because in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to start talking about what uh, our, our resurrected bodies are going to look like. And it's like, oh, well, how do you know, Paul? And he's like, well, you know, I'm not the only one who's heard this message, but there are others who saw Jesus not only him, him dying, but saw him afterwards that there is a resurrection and you can go talk to these people. It's not just one crazy person, you know, who's a missionary who hasn't slept very well, you know. <laughs> um, there are others who have the same message. And so we see that. And Luke just affirms that fact, right? Reaffirming Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection was affirming the fact that all he said and all he did was true. And so what did, it, what, did, what did, going back to Acts, what did, what did Paul say, or what did uh, Luke say? He says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. So it wasn't just an isolated incident, and we see that in multiple instances of, you know, he ate with them, he talked with them, he comforted certain people, he proved himself, he, 500 people saw him at one time, um, you can go talk to them. Over this 40-day period, and what was he talking about? Even after he rose from the dead, he continued to speak to them about the kingdom of God. And so this is really interesting for me because I, you know, I had never really stopped and looked at all the instances. I was like, I'm going to go through and, and see where are all the times that it's spoken of, of the kingdom of God. Or in the Gospel of Matthew, he uses the term kingdom of heaven. And Matthew actually speaks more about the kingdom of heaven than that term kingdom of God. Uh, but it depends on just who the author is and how they use that. Mark and Luke use kingdom of God. Um, John uses a couple times kingdom of God. Uh, and then Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. And so as you kind of go through, kind of get a picture about what are all the things that Jesus is talking about. If you talk about the kingdom of God, well, the 
people there would have been used to kingdoms. And so is this going to be like a physical thing, like a rule on earth, like a new kingdom? Uh, or is it going to be something else? And so Jesus kind of just he gives all these parables and all these things. And he says, like, it's kind of like the kingdom of God is like this. You know, so he doesn't he, he can't quite put it. He doesn't put it into words like this is the kingdom of God and this is what it's going to look like. Um, but he uses that as an illustration uh, for his, his overall message. And so I'm just going to go through and kind of you know, highlight, there's about 15 or so things, what the kingdom of God looks like if you go through um, and uh, see how this, this term is used. Overall, it's kind of the universal rule of God in the physical and spiritual world. And so early on in Matthew, we see that it's proclaimed by John the Baptist and then Jesus after his baptism, that this is what was spoken of. He speaks about the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Um, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And also later that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted. So the poor in spirit and the persecuted are those who are more apt and more ready to receive the kingdom of heaven. We see that it is a future place that will be entered. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is something that is to be sought. The kingdom of heaven is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob recline. So again, you've got this past people in history are there presently. They recline there, and you will see them there. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it was proclaimed by the disciples as they were sent out. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is a present reality. Um, He says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence um, and that men of violence try to take it by force, but they can't take it by force because it's not something that can be taken by force. Um, Spiritual clarity means that the kingdom of heaven is upon someone. So if you understand things rightly as they are, that you are in the presence of the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Um, The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, can be grown, it can be sown, and it can be spread. The kingdom of heaven, or God, can be treasured, it can be sought. Um, It is different than what happens on earth, but it's also similar. So it's it's not exactly what we see on earth, but there are various similarities uh, about what we see on earth. Um... We see that the rich uh, have a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that the kingdom of heaven, kingdom or kingdom of God, consists of a reckoning at some point, meaning that there will be a judgment in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It consists of those who are old and those who are young, and even those who enter at various times, whether early on, uh, you know, that, have, uh, that can um, gain their entry early in their life or later in their life. That's seen by the parables of the vineyards of the, uh, you know, the workers of the vineyards and some that are paid. Uh, they're all paid the same wage, but some are working early and some are working late, but they're all given the same pay. It says the kingdom of heaven is like this. Um, past sins don't matter. Uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's offered to all, but only given to those who bear fruit for that uh, in order to enter. Those who don't enter the kingdom of heaven go to a place of terror, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven will come, and it will come with power, that there will be something that will be evident. Um, There is a physical aspect to it, Uh, Jesus says that I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until I see you again in the kingdom of heaven. Um, We also see that there is a uh, celebration of a Passover or eating of bread that will be done in the kingdom of God. Um, As a boy, Jesus knew he was sent for this purpose, to spread this message of the kingdom of God. Uh, It cannot be observed, meaning you cannot see it right now, right here. Um, It will be preceded by signs, this coming of power. And he talks about that when he talks about the end times. And one must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so as you kind of package all of that up, it really ends up being like some of the some of the things are like, well, it's like things on earth, but it's not like things on earth. And it's just like, you know, as you start talking about, you know, what all of these things are, it just kind of paints the picture. Whenever you talk to somebody about spiritual reality of those who are not believers, um, they kind of look at you like a little like, I don't really understand what you're talking about, right? Um, and so they would have looked at Jesus, like Jesus used a lot of analogies to try to illustrate this point. Like once, once you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, you'll understand that, that there is a spiritual reality that, we're all, that you, if you are a believer, experience it. But there will be like a final entry into the kingdom of heaven. And we see that later on in scripture that there will be a time that God... Uh, that Christ will reign and rule on this earth. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And so we'll see a physical aspect to the kingdom of God manifested. So how does God rule in man's affairs? All right, well, he rules over everything, but not everybody is a part of God's, you know, uh, rule. Like, they are under God's rule, but they are not, they have not yielded to God's rule yet. And there will be a time that there will be a final reckoning that some then will enter in and praise God and worship God physically, uh, but then some who will not. And so essentially, Jesus is giving all of these teachings, all of these aspects, all kind of bundled under what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus says, in order to take part of this, this blessing that God has for all people, if they um, accept Christ, uh, that it comes through me, it will be given to you, only if God you know, if you accept what God's teaching is. And again, through, through Jesus Christ, right? And so, uh, so, so Jesus, again, repeats some of these things. And it's not fully clear to them. Um, we'll see that next time we teach. Like, all right, so is now the kingdom of God happening? Um, and, and Jesus will say, not yet, not yet. So, so, so Luke, again, reaffirms Jesus' resurrection and what his mission was and what he came to do and really what he came to teach. And that is the message that the apostles are going to take with him. Now, it's important to understand that this kingdom of God is now no longer, he doesn't speak of the kingdom of Israel, right? He came to the Israelites giving the message of hope, but it's, he doesn't talk about Israel. Repent, repent, because Jesus even knows that the kingdom of God is greater than this one nation, and so the apostles are going to be sent to talk about who God is and to ask others into this kingdom through the church. Um, but he's going to spread it out to those that are outside of Israel to the Gentiles as well. So Luke reaffirms that Jesus died. He rose again. He reminds us that there is proof that his coming was not just about what he did, but about what he preached, namely how to be a part of God's kingdom. And so that's kind of like the recap, the connection between his first letter to where we're headed next. And then we're going to start seeing, you know, we're going to see Jesus' ascension next time. And then we're going to start jumping into Jesus is gone now. Now it's up to the apostles to take this message. And we'll see how that um, works itself out uh, as we go through the book of Acts.